Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Voice of Experience. It's a sunny but windy day in London. <laughs> and I'm be well, I, I was joined by Manvinder Kaur, uh, and she is someone who works at Osra, but she in her own right uh, does some incredible work. She studies intersection of Sikhi and alcohol, uh, and she's a co-lead at Osra, which is uh, which effectively helps Punjabi families families navigate problems with alcohol um, and they have an incredible website which is in English and also in Punjabi um, so yeah she joined me all the way from Canada uh, which was I really appreciate because it was 9am for her um, and we spoke about um, the Sikhi community um, also in terms of alcohol abuse slash misuse uh, then we also delved into what makes her do this form of work um, and yeah what makes her so passionate um, so yeah it was a really incredible conversation uh, there was a lot to explore. Um, there were quite a few parallels there as well in terms of how we both uh, viewed alcohol and its uh, use growing up. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was really amazing to have her. And then we ended off the podcast by talking about baking, uh, which is something I want to get into. Um, but yeah, she makes some incredible stuff and I'll tag her social media so you're able to see. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy. Uh, it was a really wonderful and necessary dialogue. Um, so yeah, as always, you can feedback to us on social media or like, you know, email us and more than open. Um, so yeah, hope you have a wonderful day ahead and yeah, I hope you enjoy the dialogue that me and Madhmita had. Hey Madhmita. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm pretty good. Just woke up. It's 9 a.m. in Vancouver. I was just going to say thank you for coming on at like, like a relatively early time because I know it's a Sunday as well. So yeah, and I really appreciate you uh, waking up early because on the Sunday getting me out of bed before nine is quite a challenge. I know. I, it was it was honestly good because I like getting my day started in the morning. I'm more productive in the morning, but I've been a little lazy, so... This is a good excuse. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, it's great to have you on. Um, and yeah, I think uh, before we get started, it would just be yeah, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Sure, um, I'll do a little quick intro. I'm Man Binder, um, born and raised in Winnipeg, which is Central Canada, but I've been living in Hamilton, which is about 40 minutes from Toronto. Uh, going to McMaster University for the past two years, finishing up my Master of Arts in Religious Studies, um, just finishing up my thesis this month, actually. So, yeah, finally getting that that done. Uh, yeah, essentially um, studies the intersections of Sikhi and alcohol, and mm. through that, I kind of wanted to bring my research into the community. So I've been working on community conversations, which are titled Broken Punjabi, where we just engaged the Punjabi community, first it was in Hamilton, and now it's kind of an online um, endeavor. Uh, yeah, engaging the community in conversations around alcohol. Um, and that's kind of how I transitioned into work with ASA. Cool, yeah. Um, now I was checking out, like, I've been following Astra for a while, and I've been following you for a while. Um, it's like, it's really important work, but also, I really really like how you and Asara and also like the Brooklyn Punjabi workshops are like delivered. Um, they, they, they are very like accessible. Um, and I also love the fact that Asara have a website which is in English but also in Punjabi, which is something that um, 
EB is like we're aiming for. We we would like to have like yeah. a website that is translated as well. Um, yeah, so I really like it's amazing the work that you do. So yeah, it's really good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad. Um, yeah, and I think I I like to ask this like every guest that we have on because it's always good to know where they come from, what makes them passionate. Um, so yeah, what makes you so passionate about mental health? in South Asian communities? Yeah, so hmm, where to start? I think uh, when I first started university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I think it's kind of a daunting task at 18 to tell someone that like you have to figure out what you want to do right now. And uh, my parents so kindly suggested that I become a doctor. Um, that was kind of an idea that had been ingrained in me since I was like 10. Um, so it kind of, I, I think I thought I, that is, that's what I wanted to do, but it, it really wasn't. Um, so as I like, went to university, I was pretty bad at science. So uh, it was nice to take other classes and see what I was actually good at. So I found religion and culture uh, and I was good at it and I really liked it. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how I got into my master's program. Um, I think my parents were a little wary. They were like, what are you going to do with a religion degree? Um, so I am transitioning in September or starting a new program in September at the University of Toronto in social work. Um, so I will be I will be doing like on the ground work, which is kind of what I've realized I'm more passionate about. I think the academic pursuit was more a self-fulfilling or like a selfish endeavor and that I wanted to be able to study myself and like my culture and my heritage, my background, uh, my own history, which I don't think I got the opportunity to do in high school or in university. Um, so I think garnering all of that knowledge, what makes me really passionate is like distributing that knowledge to my community because I think um, yeah, I was in a position where I got to spend a lot of time, two years, studying Sikhi and alcohol. So I don't think that's something that a lot of people have the capacity to do or the privilege to do. So, um, yeah, kind of fighting with my parents to get that degree and then pursuing it now, like garnering all this knowledge uh, and distributing it to my community who, yeah, I feel like. I think that it's just something that I wish had existed uh, when I was growing up, an outlet um, or a resource um, for the Pinota community about alcohol. Um, so that's kind of what drives me. And I think it's also a personal, um, a personal connection to the issue. Mm. Um, the two of those, I think, as I've gone through... So for my thesis, I did um, 16 interviews, and I think just opening up that space for, like, Punjabi Sikhs and the Canadian diaspora to talk about how alcohol has impacted their lives, just to give them that, like, hour, two hours, that space to talk about it um, with someone who shares that experience to an extent was just so rewarding. I remember one of my interviews, it was... Over, I think it was over Skype or over Zoom, um, just because we couldn't work it out. But I just wanted to be able to hold that space for as many people as I could, no matter, like, kind of what ethics said or, like, what my parameters were. Um, and she was, like, sitting in a 
uh, like lounge at her university and she was like kind of tearing up talking about this and it was clearly like the first time she had maybe openly spoken about it or in like such detail and I didn't want her to like cry in the middle of um, her of like this common room so yeah I think even having that space to be like hey like let's stop this conversation and pivot to another direction um, yeah just being able to like share that moment and that emotion with that person um and then yeah at the end she asked me like what do I do to cope with because uh, my dad uh he has a problem with alcohol mm-hmm. um so she also shared this experience um and she's like how do you cope with it and honestly I couldn't really give her a good answer um but I think just that shared experience was enough Sorry, I don't know if that was too long-winded, but... No, that was a... Why I do what I do. It was a really wonderful um, answer. It really was. Um, You were really able to explore, like, how it impacts you directly, but also what motivated you, um, which was going to lead me, like, I was going to talk about, like, in terms of, like, Sikhi and alcoholism, you you said that you wish that that information was available to you when you were younger. Um, Do you find that is the case now, that even though there are more people like yourself who are raising awareness that there still isn't that much awareness out there? Kind of. I think as like I endeavor into this work, obviously I'm not the first person to do this work. Mm. I would never, yeah, like paint myself as the first. I think, I yeah, I guess for like, I'll go on a little spiel about the first. I think it's a little it's a little demeaning to others who have done this work to call yourself the first because Mm. maybe someone hasn't been published in like a white academic institute or they haven't gotten approval from like um, institutions with power. So I think even people who've been having these conversations like in their homes where like aunties gather and they like talk about and complain about their husbands, like why isn't that considered like having this conversation? Like why is it because like I got funding from like, a well-established institute to have these conversations and I could document it like I would never call myself the first Mm. Uh, sorry I forgot the question (laughs) no no uh, the question was um, do you find that the uh, so you said that uh, you wish this information was more readily available when Mm. you were growing up do you do you find that even though people like you are doing the work now that the information is still not as accessible to the wider Sikhi um population Mm -hmm. yes okay um yes so i think yeah there's a information gap and then there's also this idea that this conversation isn't happening so i guess that's what the um yeah like aunties having this conversation i think they've they've been having it even like through bullia uh so like traditional folk songs they've been complaining about it they that's been their outlet so the conversation has always been happening maybe uh, people haven't been engaging in it. But I think in regards to the information, I think if you do a Google search or if you like go to your university's library, there is there is some information, um, but I think it's like putting the puzzle pieces together, which is kind of what my thesis does. Um, that hasn't been done. So I think thinking about the political and the historical um, and then engaging with like the text and then in the lived reality so I think a a, um, a critique I get for my work is like what is 
the relationship between sicky and alcohol. There is no relationship. And I think it's perhaps a misunderstanding of what the term relationship is. I think they think that I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not going to, yeah, try to assume what other individuals, it's usually just over like a social media comment. So there's nothing I can really extrapolate from that. But I think it's just a misunderstanding of what the term relationship is. I'm not saying there's like a positive relationship between the two. Um, I'm just saying there is a relationship because it's not it's not a secret that sex drink. Um, the, li- the lived reality of alcohol is that I think in the mainstream understanding of sicky is that alcohol is prohibited, but that's clearly not what, not what is being practiced. Um, so I think, yeah, engaging with that, but yeah, kind of to circle back to your question, I think I think it, it is still hard to access that information and perhaps it's not in the popular conversation where I think alcohol still is very much promoted and uh, romanticized, especially in the music. Right. So, um, so the conversations have been going on through like bullying, etc. Um, or like within family <laughs> circles or community circles, but I think what I gather is that now there is a sort of sort of a, like a legitimization because of formal research being undertaken uh, on the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to ask you because um, yeah, when you mentioned the fact that you 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 spoke to someone in the university lounge and they were they were clearly quite emotional about the impact that it's had on their family or them, like in terms of the research you've done, um, have you had a lot of in- interactions with people who have been affected? directly or indirectly as a result of someone else's uh, misuse of alcohol? Yeah, yeah, I think when I started this research, I knew it was a problem just based on my lived experience. Um, But I wanted to like deep dive and see like how much of a problem it was. And unfortunately, I think the more and more I talked to people, I told people about my research, people like send me DMs because it is like my Instagram bio. I like, yeah, I invite this conversation. Um, so people will DM me all the time, sharing their stories. They'll want to do like a quick chat and I'm always more than happy to chat. I just, yeah, I like to, I like to let them know that I'm not a mental health professional right now, but I think just having a space that's, that where you can just share your story is usually enough and what people are seeking um and just sharing like my experiences um and what resources I've accessed but I think yeah the more and more I like went into this research kept having this conversation the more I realized it's a much larger problem that than like I personally thought it was um I think yeah and I think sometimes I struggle with like I don't know how to help everyone that like comes Mm. to work in Punjabi or messages asra um we just released like a survey and some of those answers are so tough to read um i think like obviously it does get a little it gets easier to read but it doesn't get easier to like sit with um i think yeah someone was like please (coughs) sorry (coughs) like they said something along the lines of like please we just need help i don't know what will happen if we don't get help um and i think it's just that like yeah that space where you're like I don't I don't even know how to help you um like this resource that you so desperately need doesn't even exist um yeah because I think that kind of circle backs to 
it doesn't circle back because we haven't chatted about it, but it kind of leads to the point where people in the community who do have a problem sometimes don't even recognize that they have a problem. So the first, right. the first kind of step is, I guess, recognizing that you have a problem. Um, but what does that look like specifically in the Punjabi context isn't always what is understood in like the quote unquote mainstream where it's like, well, it's not, it's not prohibiting me from like going to work. I'm still highly successful. Um, my wife still hasn't left me. My kids are still here. I think it's kind of overlooking like the, the fighting and the disputes and like, I don't know, the constant bickering that does still occur, but being like, well, in the morning, it's all fine. Um, so I think, yeah, specifically engaging with what it looks like in the Punjabi community is kind of one of the goals of ASRA. Um, yeah. Right. So you're saying people interpret their misuse of um, alcohol in a way that's, I suppose, is different or is not in the way like the mainstream Punjabi way so they're like yeah well you know I still have my job I am still have my partner etc um, so that means mm-hmm. like my use of alcohol is, is fine or is what you would call quote unquote uh, uh, healthy but that's not really the case um, which and from like from what I gather based on everything you're saying there's like a lot of there's a lot of emotions flying around right as a result of all the misuse um, that you're finding in your research um, so like what did your research like explore what impact this had on like the people's mental health yeah I think <clears throat> so I think from my perspective I think it not only has a detrimental effect on the person who is consuming the alcohol and their mental health, or it is like a coping mechanism to deal with whatever mental health issue they Mm. might be dealing with, but I think it also impacts everyone around them. Um, So a lot of the work that Astra does is engaging with family members that are impacted or loved ones that are impacted um, by someone, by a loved one's problem with alcohol. So I think like that circle of of impact um so to say is yeah it's i think it does a lot of harm to to many people's mental health i think like i wouldn't i wouldn't have engaged in my work if it didn't impact my mental health um so like growing up i'm happy to yeah share a little bit of my story um so growing up my dad he would like drink alcohol in the evening um, and it would be to excess and my mom just really didn't like it. So it would cause a lot of fighting between the two of them. Um, But I also saw alcohol as like a really fun substance. So yeah, when I was really, really young, it would be like we would go to like a a family gathering and everyone, all the dads would like sit in that little dad room and like the family room that only the dads are allowed to sit in (laughs) and they would drink alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. And they would start drinking and they'd like have their meat and they were like the people that had the power. They like were the ones making the money. Um, They were also the ones like drinking, eating meat and like being served. Mm. And I think beforehand I would see them being like very quiet and reserved and like after they'd had alcohol, they were like these open, really happy guys. And my dad was usually like in my memory, like the one who would drink the most. So I, everyone just like thought he was the funniest. They thought he was the coolest. Like he was like I don't he like was the center of attention. Everyone really liked him. And I guess like reflecting back on it, I guess that's 
something I admired and wanted to be. So I think when alcohol was introduced to me, probably when I was like 15, 16, Mm. I was also like, I want to be cool. I want everyone to like me. I want to be the center of attention. Um, Like, I want to be the drunkest. Like, I didn't understand. I guess, yeah, I didn't understand what the purpose of alcohol was apart from being drunk. So I think, like, as soon as someone handed me a drink, I was like, well, the purpose of this substance is to make you drunk and to make you fun. So I would just, yeah, from, like, the age of 15, I think I didn't understand that, like, moderation was a thing. Mm. I was just like, you drink alcohol to, like, black out. And that was, like, the norm for me up until... I remember this one moment. It's just so stark. I must have been, like, 21 or 22. And I assumed my, like, binge drinking and blackout behavior was totally normal both because of like the Punjabi environment I grew up in but also because of like North American and I'm sure European like binge drinking yeah like that lifestyle like yep. university binge drinking it was totally normal like nobody was like oh like I mean there I think you might have a problem it was just like haha you got so drunk last night so I think yeah there was a moment when we had like we had gone to a party and the next day I think we were chatting and one of my friends was like oh my god like uh I'll call her Mary Mary got super drunk last night she like doesn't she got so drunk that she doesn't like remember pieces of it um and that is kind of when it clicked in me that like not remembering parts of your night was like it was not normal I think obviously I knew it wasn't normal up until then, but I didn't really engage with it or interrogate mm. like how obscure it was. I thought all my friends were blacking out, not remembering. I didn't realize it was like just me, which like thinking back to it, it's like how how did I how did we never have that conversation, um, or how did we never like yeah I guess we never really talked about it because it's also that like that next day like kind of anxiety like oh my god what did I do I don't even want to talk about it like. I don't remember so kind of just assuming that everyone else is also having that experience I didn't realize that it wasn't like a normal experience up until like yeah I guess like quite late I think I was yeah 20 or 21 um so yeah that was that was kind of how it impacted my mental health and that I didn't even realize why I was drinking the way I was drinking Mm. or that my drinking was dangerous um it was to like mask a lot of insecurity and to like cope with at the beginning of university like taking classes that I didn't really like or like pursuing a path that I wasn't good at like I would never check my grades because I was like I know I did terrible in this class but I know this is like what I have to do so even all of that like just trying to not think about um to think about that kind of stuff and it wasn't until so yeah after I graduated Um, university I moved to France for a year to be an au pair Uh, but it was also just I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life so I was like I'm gonna move to France and my parents (laughs) were clearly like very confused but I was like no I'm learning French like I'll be bilingual I could get a really good job because I'll know French Uh, but yeah I moved to France and it gave me a lot of time to think um, because I had so much free time and before that I didn't like either I would be like going out with my friends or like studying for exams so there wasn't really a space for me to like interrogate my actions but in France there was there was nothing but time because I wasn't taking any classes I was like taking yeah I was kind of taking French classes 
um, but it wasn't as rigorous as university, obviously. So yeah, that really gave me the space to be like, why do I drink the way I do? It's yeah, not a healthy relationship. Um, so yeah, then I came back to Winnipeg after that year, um, and I got my honors degree in religion and culture. And I really was like, not only do I want to get my honors degree in a um, yeah, an area of study that I'm passionate about, but I also want to like take time to think about my mental health and why I do what I do. So I yeah, I like started therapy. Um, I started like trying to drink in moderation, and it really was like a two year endeavor of me like really really trying hard um to always be very conscious when I do go out drinking and I do still drink but it's very like in moderation I'm drinking lots of water I'm like very conscious of like what where in my drunkenness I am um and stopping myself but yeah it's that's yeah kind of how I think the cultural problem quote-unquote um of drinking kind of impacted my personal mental health and yeah yeah cool so yeah um there are some parallels there in terms of when you were talking and i was like wow like that the same thing happened to me because i was quite similar i i grew up around Mm -hmm. alcohol but there was no education for me as to what kind of um like where where is this the point that you stop um you know just like general information about misuse of alcohol so when i became a teenager much like yourself i used it as a way to become more of a social butterfly um so that i could get over my insecurities and talk to people mm-hmm. and i remember one night i got seroparalytic uh, i hope my mom isn't listening because uh, yeah <laughs> i don't think she knows i used to drink um and i got seroparalytic and after that i was just like you know what i feel so rank um and then that for me in a similar way to you started this journey where you try and think about like what is your relationship with alcohol, especially as a person of color in in the diaspora, right? What function does it serve for you? Mm-hmm. But I think like, maybe, I, maybe I'm like wrong or like, um, if I'm incorrect, just like, you know, correct me. But I was gonna say, maybe do you think uh, our misuse or in your case, your misuse of alcohol came from the fact that you weren't uh, told like when you were growing up here, like, like for me, I found it was like very much like in the shadows kind of thing. Like I knew my uncle uh, yeah. would drink, but or even my dad, he would drink with his best friends or whatever in Pakistan. But it was like so behind the doors, like you say, they go to their special room. You don't know what they're doing, but you, you know they're like drinking in there and whatever else. So because it was so like hush hush, when it came time for me to explore alcohol, because no one has sat down with me and just had a frank conversation. I just saw it as like a thing to go like zero to a hundred. I was like, yep, this thing is going to completely yeah. change me as a person. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, it is so hush hush. I think even when now when my dad drinks, he's like, he's like, I didn't drink. And <sighs> like, he's clearly drunk. Like we can smell on his breath, but he like still denies it. And I think that must be, or like, I assume it must be like, him either being funny or him like denying it to himself or like I don't that's not a layer or like that's not something I can unpack but I think yeah it is so not talked about and I think that's where that piece of everyone being like nobody talks about alcohol consumption in the Penobie community because I don't think it's like an internal in your home conversation like everyone knows that XYZ person like drinks that yeah I think everyone knows someone who has a problem with alcohol um and i think being a like someone who identifies as a woman as female i think it's even 
more hush hush even now when my um when my parents know what I study they've like gone through my problem with alcohol with me they've seen me at like my really really lows and obviously I would lie to my parents and I would come home like I was living at home this whole time and they would just super like aggressively ignore it like once my friend literally had to like walk me to the door and my parents saw that I was like so drunk that I couldn't walk myself to the door but they like the next day they were just mad which is fair but also so unproductive and unhelpful Mm. and even now when I bring those moments up again they were like yeah like you used to drink so much like like yeah that happened because you drank like x amount of alcohol and I was like okay so you're recognizing that I used to drink that much but there's still not really a conversation yeah around alcohol apart from kind of like shaming and bullying me about Mm. it which is like I just I kind of relegate that to or I chalk that up to I don't know if that's the correct term Um, but yeah I think that's because I don't yeah I don't even know if my parents would know how to have a conversation about like mindful alcohol consumption or like what alcohol consumption is like my mom's solution is just like abstinence like just don't drink it um like that's the only solution there's no other way like it's just a bad substance like gonna do bad things to you but yeah it's definitely yeah I know I said I just said that I think it's annoying when people say it but it's just not talked about um even in my like in my high school or my middle school education so growing up it wasn't really taught to me like what mindful alcohol consumption is Mm. like we had yeah I remember a seminar yeah we had a seminar and assembly on uh drinking and driving so it was like a very like a very yeah scary like this is what will happen to you if you drink and drive like you'll die essentially um so we had that and then our like essentially our like drugs and alcohol that conversation was just I remember so in Canada I guess the I want to say east side of Vancouver um there's a lot of uh it's yeah there's a lot of problem with addiction and drugs so they would just in a very like like now looking back on it disturbing manner like show us this weird documentary like we watched it like one or two like two or three times but it was this like very odd documentary very like very skewed in the perception that they were trying to give us of what um a problem like a drug a problem with drug like in the problem with addictions looks like and it's yeah just it wasn't helpful at all essentially what I gathered from it was like the way people get addicted to any substance is someone will like come up to them and like stab them with heroin and then they are addicted (laughs) it was like not nuanced at all it was just like so removed from our lived reality and I went to like quite an uppity private school so it was just like well none of us are gonna like that's not gonna happen to any of us Mm. like we're all quite well off and yeah I would say like Every, a lot of people in that school were much more well off than I was, but I was still well off. So it was just like those other individuals who were more well off than I was, it was just like an even more removed reality. It wasn't like contextualized to like what I would say is a very upper white, upper class white audience. So it was just like someone is going to go up to you, they're going to stab you with heroin, and then you're going to be addicted. If they don't, you're good. 
but like I know there are people who I graduated with who have struggled with addiction so I think Mm. yeah not having that information presented to them I'm sure was a detriment to everyone so if like the most upper class of Winnipeg isn't getting which yeah hilarious and saying it um but isn't getting like that education then like why would I expect like any minority community to be getting that education so yeah I think it's both the internal at-home conversation which my parents just don't even know how to have and that conversation at in schools yeah and it's quite interesting that you bring up um like uh, alcoholism at the intersection of uh, of like class um that yeah from what it sounds like it's like we had like silly documentaries or or like series like that as well growing up and it's just like it's i found it at the time very much a way to just demonize uh homeless slash working class people um and yeah but when you know you know like even i know people i grew up with who had severe like um addictions to alcohol or other substance substances and it's just really interesting how that then it portrays in the media where it's just, oh, these working class people slash homeless people are the ones uh, addicted to alcohol or else. When in reality, is a, a lot of society does. And that, like you said, that it lacks that level of nuance where you try and understand why someone is um, addicted to a particular thing. Um, yeah, it, it's really... But also at the same time, I was going to say, like, I think now that you're like, now that we're talking, I'm getting to better understand why you do what you do. It's quite interesting then to, in the context of having grown up with that, you know, you know hush hush um, lack of education, whether it's in the family or whether it's in society or in school, etc. For you, for you to then do the work that you do, which must be so incredible because you just sit there and you just openly talk about the use of alcohol. Right. And yeah, that must be so cool. Yeah. yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think I always forget how, like, quote-unquote cool it is until, like, someone leaves a feedback form and they're like, well, it's so amazing that the space was created and I'm so happy to, like, be able to have this conversation because I'm always having this conversation. Mm. <laughs> and then I kind of get into this, like, yeah, like, my reality is so different than, like, the actual real world. So I always have to, like, recenter myself and be like, and then they're not everyone is constantly talking about alcohol in the Punjabi community mm. like get out of your little bubble but yeah being able to create that space for people I think I always forget how yeah how rewarding or how lovely uh, or just how grateful I am to be able to create that space I think um, yeah I think it's not yeah just even thinking about like five years ago like this definitely when it wasn't a conversation but I think so many like beautiful communities are being created where people can talk about mental health and they can talk about um yeah their 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 lived experiences and like the impacts that mental health has had on their lives or how they're yeah coping with that so I think yeah it's yeah it's awesome and I all, honestly, I almost always cry. So uh, <laughs> like someone else needs to end this because it's making me too emotional. Uh, I didn't used to be a crier, but now I'm just like, that's so beautiful. Can't, can't hold it in. Uh, now, I think, um, so like I, I've been going to uh, Talaki's Men's Mental Health Forums uh, since like last October, September. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's a space for like Punjabi men. Um, 
And I think just having that kind of like collective experience, uh, because we talk about different subjects every month, and it's just it's just really nice to just sit there with someone and just be able to, you know, talk about your experiences. But then you also find there's so many like, like this person sitting across you or that other person across the table has like has like relatively similar experiences to you uh, around the subject, and it, it uh-huh. can it can make you emotional because I think being a person of color uh you don't really get to explore or be able to talk with other people of color on subjects that have hold meaning but also you may have like trauma uh within mm-hmm. um so yeah i can completely yeah. understand why uh you it, w- it would get emotional because it does for us as well or for me when i go to those um particular uh workshops um but and, and I know you've mentioned Astra quite a bit, so I think it'd be good to, to get a, like a formal introduction as to what Astra is, what role you play there and the work they're doing, because yeah, they're doing incredible work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, love the work that Taraki does. So inspired by it constantly. Um, yeah, and that's kind of, yeah, honestly, Astra was inspired a lot by Taraki and like the work that Sharanjeet does, because yeah, I'm just like, I'm a little, I'm a fan of Sharanjeet and a friend, I like to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was really born out of a lot of the work that, like, mental health organized, like, small grassroots mental health yeah. organizations already doing um, with the Punjabi community. Um, but it was, yeah, really, so I was doing Broken Punjabi, which is a conversation series out in Hamilton, and I was supposed to be in um, British Columbia for, for Vancouver um, for a fellowship. Um, at the University of Victoria for two months. And so I connected with someone um, in uh, on the West Coast in Canada um, about doing a Broken Punjabi event here. Um, so we were supposed to do one, but then COVID hit, so couldn't come to British Columbia. Um, so we're like, let's just move it online. Um, and the people I connected with um, in BC, uh, they had already created a website so astronow.ca used to be called um Punjabi resource directory right. and it was essentially what it is right now so um a website that has information on problems with alcohol in Punjabi and English so stuff on harm reduction stuff on what is an addiction um and it has lots of videos in Punjabi on like what is counseling um or how to get help uh, or what are the different ways you can get help um and then there are resources right now for all over British Columbia. Um, and we also have this like one fun little um, facet for all of our um, for all of our resources that's like Punjabi friendliness. So it'll tell you if there's like a Punjabi social worker, a Punjabi counselor, uh, or it's offered in Punjabi, the service. Um, yeah, so they had that like beautiful website, which I was obsessed with. Um, mm. <laughs> and then I had my community conversation. So yeah, I approached Bhavanjeet or I think Bhavanjeet and I just had a conversation um, about just joining forces. Cause like, yeah, I was on, like, I was on the other side of the country and she was on the other side, but we're like, I don't, I didn't want to take up more space on the internet or like try to organize by myself when there was already this great work being done. So we're like, yeah. why don't we just come together? Like I had the community piece. She had um, more of like the science, she's a medical student and I'm starting um, a social work program. So yeah, I felt like I was the social sciences and she was the hard sciences. So we're like, that's great. Like that's kind of the 
coherence in the conversation that needs to be happening because I think a lot of the time like these faculties don't talk to each other um so we're like yeah let's, let's just join forces let's not like try to compete with each other or like take up more space on like Instagram and, like create two different pages let's just like target yeah yeah target this audience together so that's kind of how that came about um and I think we only started working together in I want to say May um so it hasn't been that long um but yeah we have the website which is now asranow.ca and asra means support in Punjabi um yeah and then we also uh yeah we have resources for BC and we've compiled resources with the help of lovely lovely community volunteers uh we've compiled resources for Alberta and for Ontario so those will be up on the website hopefully by the end of this month but yeah I think we're just taking it slower before school starts before we have to like get right into things um but yeah so have lots of resources and we do bi-monthly um community conversations where we have a different um we have a different topic um and then we're also trying to see uh we just released a needs assessment survey um for people who are impacted by a loved one's problem with alcohol so not the person themselves who has the problem but yeah kind of again that circle of impact um that they yeah that are yeah so those who are impacted by the problem um what kind of supports they need um i think ideally i'd love or we would love to start a support group um from that like an online meeting space um i think it could be compared to Al-Anon, but I don't like to. I think I would. Yeah, obviously I'm not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater, but thinking about what works with Al-Anon, but also catering it specifically um, to the community and seeing from those survey results like what people want. Mm. So that's kind of, yeah, the things that we're doing. I guess I would define my role as like a co-lead uh, but yeah, we're trying to move away from hierarchies and just, I think I just try to get things done. I like to think of myself as a delegator. Um, yeah, delegating tasks, creating tasks. I don't know. It's just something I'm figuring out right now. Um, but yeah, we're slow but steady in our moving. Yeah, I mean, definitely moving. The website is incredible. Uh, the stuff that you put out is incredible. And also, like I say, it's, it's a very fine balance between on-the-ground work that's happening, but also, like, you know, it's online as well, so there's more... Um, people are able to find it um, on the mm-hmm. online scape. Uh, and I agree with you. I think I'm, we're in a similar position where it's, like, there's no, like, defined roles. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> but it's really, it's really... It's just, like... And, and that's what I really am um, privileged to be a part of right now. Like, you have, like like Turkey, you have Asada, then you have Soch, then you have uh, like other organizations like South Asian Sister Speak, then you've got us. And it's just the fact that we're all working together in a very like fluid way. It's a very organic way. There's no hierarchy. There's no like one person leads this and the other person leads that. It's just trying to accommodate the communities as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think like if there are like 10 different South Asian organizations. That's awesome because before it, like there were none. I think like the more the better. I think we all cater to different audiences and we all provide different services. So I think, yeah, working cohesively together is, is amazing. And yeah, I'm just very excited to see where this work goes. Everyone's work. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. And I'll be like, will be supporting um, very much throughout the whole journey. And I just checked that we're hitting the fifteen-minute mark. Um, so I think we'll call, we'll like call, close off in uh, about five to ten minutes. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to talk about, or would you like me to throw more questions at you? Um, I think immediately comes to mind. Um, yeah, no, I'd be happy to yeah chat about whatever else you had in mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so you upload some like delicious dishes on your Instagram, like amazing pictures. So more yeah. than happy to talk about cooking. <laughs> yes. No, I was so excited to see that question. I was like, I love talking about baking. So yeah, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know. I think I'm still trying to figure out what my like, how I like to work, if I like to be aggressively busy because if I am like super super busy then it forces me to get all of my tasks done like when they have to be done and if I have like if I'm on like a more relaxed and open schedule then I don't get things done Mm -hmm. I just procrastinate and I let them like sit there but if I have if I know like I have like if I have like three or four different things going on I'm like I need to get this done right now so I think I just like through baking in there right. um both well because I love it and I used to bake a lot when I was living in France because I had so much free time I was like I need hobbies so yeah I think the pandemic kind of brought me back to that where I had my thesis and I only had my thesis and I had nothing else to do so I was like I need to go back to my hobbies so I really yeah I went back to baking and I think I like yeah I like finding new dishes and seeing if I can if I can like if I can make them like bagels I was like that's not something I would have ever thought I could make by myself in my own home but like let me just try and honestly whenever I like film it for Instagram or like take videos it always turns out better I think there's just like an inherent (laughs) that's like has to turn out well it has to like at least look good Like like it doesn't even have to really taste good it just has to look good enough for me to like put post an end result and so I think I'm like if I want something to turn out well I'm like I'll just I'll record it I'll record this journey um and it will inherently just turn out delicious and I usually do I think the only thing that didn't really turn out were the chocolate chip cookies I made which is like kind of odd because that's probably one of like easier things that I made they were just I don't think I'm good at chocolate chip cookies so but otherwise yeah I love baking and I, I love to see the the series that you guys are doing. I think, yeah, that's, it's my favorite thing to watch. Oh, I'm glad because, uh, sorry, I went quiet there for like solid five minutes because I was on your Instagram and I was looking at all of your baking stuff and I was getting so hungry looking at it. <laughs> the chocolate chip cookies look so good. They look, they're chunky as well, which is really like up my street. Um, and then the bagels look delicious. They look so good. And then you've also yeah, got I think like that I, those were those those actually turned out well and like they were so I live in a house of like five people so they they were consumed within like forty eight hours I think my siblings were nice enough to leave the last one for me but like everything gets eaten right away and my dad who actually doesn't like sweet things will always ask for like a slice of cake so my mom is like a little bitter about it and she's like he doesn't eat like my sweet thing but he'll like always eat uh. my <laughs> cute little a cute little a familial familial joke that's like he only eats you know the cakes that I bake but yeah even he likes them I think uh I think that that speaks volumes 
Yeah, I mean they look incredible. Um, I haven't I haven't really got around to baking yet because I'm I've been cooking a lot more. My partner, she she like when she bakes, she will create something so incredible. You're just like, when are you gonna make that next? Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. do you find it there's like a difference in terms of like, or do you find cooking and baking to be equally as relaxing? Um, because I think just the thought of me for baking right now, having not done it as much, I feel more, I feel more stressed about it because I think there is such like a strict recipe to follow or is that just me going or is that just being like yeah, me being not being educated enough on baking no i think i think so i think i'm i'm probably i would classify myself as like an okay baker i would say my sister is a really good baker mm. because she's like very delicate and slow and she doesn't do it often but like whenever there's anything in the recipe that like requires care I'm like, Guggen, you have to do it. Like, uh-huh. with the banana upside down cake, like, you have to thinly slice the bananas. And I just, I know myself, and I know I don't have the patience to, like, beautifully cut, like, thinly sliced bananas. So I was like, you're going to have to do that. So she doesn't cook off or bake often, but when she does, it's, like, very delicate, very, like, she takes care of, like, everything she does, and it's, like, slow. Uh, but, it, yeah, it really is, like, an art when she does it. When I do it, it's kind of just, like, oh, they said to do the dry and the wet, like, separately and then mix them, and I just, like, did them all together. Uh-huh. Like, I, yeah, I, I mostly, I, yeah, I follow the recipe, and, like, when I do follow it to a T, obviously, it turns out much better, but I don't think, yeah, no, I don't think I'm, like, I think it just somehow, I think you should just record it. If you record it uh-huh. for Instagram, there will be some inherent pressure, and you'll just, yeah. You'll but I think, <laughs> yeah, I think with baking, I, like, I think I, I do like the aesthetics of baking. I like like the end product is always really beautiful. Um, and with cooking, I do like cooking, but I think, yeah, I like it less also because I'm like, if this doesn't turn out well, if my family doesn't have dinner and then like someone else will have to make something. Uh, and if like my baking messes up, then it's fine. Like we don't need dessert. And also, yeah, like it'll uh, taste good anyways. It's sugar. sugar yeah. flour, dessert, that'll taste good. Just add more of the sugar. Uh, with baking, I feel like sorry with cooking. There's a little bit more pressure for me because I'm like, if this doesn't turn out well, like I feel like also everyone likes their cooking differently. Um, like they're like, oh, I like more like salt. I like more garlic. I like more this and that. There's always more critique. I feel with cooking and with baking, it's like yum, sweet and lemony. I like it. Uh, so yeah, easy to please with baking. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think because everyone has their own different like different like palettes when it comes to cooking. So someone might not like too much salt, or someone not, might not like too much spice. But with baking, literally, everyone likes sugar. So it's it's bound to have like a ninety nine percent hit rate, <laughs> regardless of how you make it. Um, it's a, that's a really interesting observation. Uh, so I think I'm about moving to baking now as well. Uh, see how that goes because. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I, the, the only thing is, I know if I get into baking, because I like to cook so much, I will be baking something every day, and that's not the best space for me to go down, especially during lockdown as well. <laughs> but I feel if, you'll hit, you'll hit a, I think you'll hit a wall, because I was also doing that, where my mom is like, you've made like too many, like, I was also like, obviously into focaccia at some point, where I was making like all different types of focaccia. And then my mom was like, there's just too much bread in this house. You need to stop. And like everyone was like in a bread coma. We just like 
had all gained like a bunch of weight. She was like, it's time, it's time for us to like do some exercise instead. So you'll hit a wall, I think, when you're like, this is, I've eaten too much, too much, too many sweets or like too much bread. So yeah, moderation, Uh, moderation is key. uh, Yeah, that's something I've learned over the pandemic, especially with peanut butter, because I used to go through peanut butter like there was no tomorrow. I used to have kg a week, which is a lot. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, the family I lived with in France used to go through so much Nutella. So, oh. you know, I'm I'm more of a hummus. I go through a lot of hummus. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah it's those little dips, dips and spreads. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, okay. Gr- Jesus, that's been an hour already. It, podcasting <laughs> nowadays seems to fly yeah. for me. And yeah, like I, I feel like we were just getting into the podcast and the hour is up. So I would love to have you back on again. Um, yeah, I think there was a lot more to explore in terms of like alcohol ab- uh, abuse slash misuse and like South Asian communities, but also the Sikh community. Um, because yeah, and I think it's also very important to explore in terms of like, for me... Uh, the main reason I used it was to like you know like notch down the otherness I felt as a teenager so I think that's a really important area to explore uh, for people of color so yeah it would be great to have you back on again yeah I would love to this is such a lovely conversation thank you this is a great way to start my Sunday so Um, so productive I'm glad. Um, if you, yeah, you, I'm, I'm more than happy for you to do like, you know, where people can find you. I'm going to tag you anyways, but yeah, I always like to give people the opportunity because I will probably suck at being like, follow Munvinder on X and so, and I'll probably mess it up at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, I'm more than happy for you to do like, you know, where people can find the amazing work that you do and of course your baking. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so you can follow Asra at astra.now or head to our website astranow.ca um, and you can find me everywhere I think as <laughs> at womanbinder so my name is womanbinder but my yeah my social media is womanbinder uh, yeah that's where I can be found happy to always answer any DMs um, I like to think that I have a healthy relationship with Instagram but I'm probably on it too much oh. <laughs> that's completely fair um, great yeah, so I will tag you as well. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, it was I really appreciate you coming on so early on a Sunday and really appreciate you talking about the, the important things that you did talk about, like you're doing incredible work and it will be an honor to have you back on again in like a few months' time. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, yeah, for creating this space. I think, uh, yeah, I love, I'm going out today. So I'm also, yeah, I'm enrolled in this like, young or youth filmmakers because I'm still a youth youth filmmakers program uh, and I know nothing about film but they were like yeah you, like whatever you've pitched is good let's try to do that so we do like I have like a mentor and we do like bi-weekly workshops as well and then now I'm like trying to create a short doc so even like having this conversation and like thinking about how to turn it into all different types of mediums is so helpful so honestly this is like yeah great for my great for the day ahead day one of filming i'm glad yeah. uh oh yeah and that th- <laughs> one that sounds interesting and i wish you like all the best of luck um so yeah again thank you so much uh have a great thank sunday you. and i'll catch up with you straight after this podcast <laughs> bye yeah sure yeah all sounds great you yeah and you know where to find me <laughs> well, thank you bye
Bye.